Okay, Mitch Slater, the man with a fantastic name. Are you okay with being recorded on a podcast? I am so okay. Well, there goes that liability. This is I Took a Hike. I'm your host, Darren Mass, founder of Business Therapy Group and part-time wilderness philosopher. Here we step out of the boardrooms and home offices and into the great outdoors where the hustle of entrepreneurship meets the rustle of nature. In this episode, we hike along with Mitchell Slater, a fellow podcaster and inspirational storyteller. Our topics include the upbringing of a thespian in the 60s and 70s, the tales of early Howard Stern, the teachings of Larry King, brilliant advice connections, and the emotions of an ultimate family champion. We are enchanted by the tales and trails when I took a hike with Mitchell Slater. It wasn't until I embarked on this podcast journey that I realized the impact of problem solving in nature. And now I would like to help you. I invite you or your team to join me on a hike and experience business therapy all while on the trail. Visit itookahike.com for more information on our hiking therapy. All right, and let's, uh, let's begin. Mitch Slater, the person who does live in the same town. I have not ever met you prior, but no. I have researched you and I found a lot of really cool facts about you. But did you. you vote for me? Maybe you weren't in town. I was not in <laughs> town. You were on the board of Ed. Yeah, two terms yeah. I served. So well, uh, and then, we'll get then Alcatraz, that. I served right after that. You went to Alcatraz? <laughs> no, I'm saying it was like being in Alcatraz at times, but anyway. All right, we're going to get into that in a second. Let's just talk a little bit about your background and what you do currently. You work for UBS. Correct. And more inspirationally, you host the UBS podcast. Yes, I started. Actually, I piloted the first advisor podcast at UBS, which in my industry was like reinventing the wheel. I'm in an industry that is typically on a 10-year delay, where most places are in a 10-second delay. <laughs> now, folks, if I'm panting, cut me a break, wait for my inhaler to work. <laughs> uh, so so this is, I like torturing people, apparently. I've mentioned this before. I am a bit of a sadist, especially since I practice hiking quite often. Right. Um, I do like to hear a guest get a little bit hot and heavy with the breath and the breathing. Well, you'll get it. But I don't want you to die. No, well, um, as a matter of fact, <laughs> I just had an echocardiogram yesterday, and I am not going to die. Okay, this is uh, this is 100% certainty. We will not be killing Mitch on this hike. This is a challenging hike. Not too challenging, but you have told me you've hiked before. I am definitely, wouldn't say it's, it's a routine thing. I am much more of a cyclist, and lately I prefer the flatter the better, but... <laughs> Well, I do like being outdoors. Well, you know what's great for cycling? Expanding your rib cage and your lung capacity with a heavy hike, especially when it's going to be 90. Yeah. So you will get some extra reps in. All right, so let's go back. Sure. UBS, you yeah. are in an industry that is dinosaur, archaic in its thinking. It doesn't like to move fast at a fast pace of change, at least when, uh, when you're entering in new technologies, right? Yeah, steeped in tradition. Yeah, it's steep in tradition. It's not anyone's fault. It's just, I think, the nature of really two industries today, financial services and pharma. They just have the C word, compliance. I was going with can't, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then all of a sudden, 
the culture goes from no to yes when they find the right people. Mm -hmm. And I have been a big part of that over 35 years. I have the war wounds to prove it. But that's my personality. I'm somebody who you would call the accidental financial advisor. <laughs> Do tell. Well, that wasn't, that wasn't the goal. What did you want to be when you grew up? An actor. Oh, okay. You were very far off. No, I am, I am uh, very much on the left brain, creative side. Watched a lot of British television, read a lot of plays, starred in all the high school shows at Jonathan Dayton Regional High School. Go Bulldogs. <laughs> I hated high school, but I loved the shows and playing baseball. Well, you and I have something in common. I did not like high school either. I yeah. thought I was held back. Uh, yeah, which, I do too. Which high school can do for you, right? But that's well, okay. the summers are what kept me going. The summers growing up in the, at camp initially in the Berkshires, beautiful Camp Anota, far above Anota's waters on a mountainside in Pittsfield, Mass. I could sing you all the songs. <laughs> a big tradition in my family, that camp. But even more as I got older, my parents, who were incredibly supportive of everything I've ever done, and including my 96-year-old mom who said, go take that hike today, Mitch. Oh, wow. And we'll get into her. But I, I loved acting. I loved being on stage. I will tell you that I am more comfortable in life being on a stage, being in front of people, being on TV, radio, podcasting, even the producing side, just doing anything creative. That's my jam. Tie in music with it, which is a big part of my life, and I'll probably be quoting Bruce Springsteen more than once on this hike for a lot of reasons. <laughs> we are not going on a downbound train, folks. We are certainly on the rising <laughs> as we walk. Well, there you go. So, so let's take a quick step back, because we're going to actually yeah. get into Bruce Springsteen, because I know you had Max Weinberg mm -hmm. on your show, and as a drummer growing up, Huge fanboy for Max Weinberg. Grew up uh, just a few minutes from here. This is awesome. I want to hear about that. Um, you mentioned British comedy, so you probably have a little bit of a, a dry humor with the Red Light, Green Light show. Absolutely. Yes, one of the four channels I was able to watch when I was growing up. So Monty I get Python. That. <laughs> Monty Python. I might go into the ministry of some silly walks here <laughs> and find is, some dead parrots. That but. is quite okay. I will find the humor <laughs> in that as well. Um, so, so let's, let's take a step back, though. At what point did it change from you wanting to be an actor to going into finance? Well, I took a, I took a left turn at broadcasting. Um, I studied acting at Northwestern University. Absolutely beautiful. Just a great spot. Oh, that's, that's a fantastic school. My brother went to Northwestern. I did a, a summer program there. I was a cherub. They only accepted 18 boys and 18 girls in this program. You had to go into New York City and audition where I think I did American Buffalo Pacino. <laughs> um, and much to my shock, I got in. In the summer of 1977, and people that know me are probably saying, oh Jesus, is he gonna talk about that summer again? <laughs> was incredible for me for a lot of reasons. And we'll, we'll put aside the summer of 42 references if people understand what that means. But um, I had the ability for the first time to be around people like me okay. that love to act. Thespians. Absolute thespians. And we did Noel Coward. We did Shakespeare. Charlton Heston was one of the professors. 
Really? Yes. That's when I liked Charlton Heston. That changed a little bit later. But anyway. Wait, hold on. One of your professors was the Charlton Heston? Yeah, he taught there. Head of the NRA? Back then, not. Well, obviously not, but. Yeah, back then, I just, to me, he was Moses, and that was about it. And he Planet would, of the Apes, so. You know, maybe I should have gone or led with the fact that he was Planet of the Apes, but, but still, that, that's a pretty big name. Incredible name. And also, as I learned throughout that summer, some of the parents of some of my fellow thespians, which when you grew up in Springfield, New Jersey, was not a word that was respected. Why is that? Oh, it was a very, very simple thing. You were, you were in the shows. You're gay. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't matter what you are, and I could care less. What year is this? Who I am and what I am. I'm a heterosexual married man of 37 years, but who cares? Oh, this is the 70s. 70s. So things yeah. were a little bit different. That's not accepted today. Right. Just one of the reasons. Oh, I'm sorry. That that thinking is not accepted. Oh, not even close. And. I had an incredible teacher who grew up not far from here, Joe Trinity, um, who just died recently, around 100, who was an acting teacher who believed in me and really gave me, I think, more of the courage and the skills to feel comfortable about becoming someone else. And I think at the end of, the end of my days, probably I'll look back and enjoy the time that I maybe necessarily wasn't Mitch Slater, but somebody else. Okay, so would you say you were an introvert growing up? Deep down, yes, everybody that knew me never believed it. They saw me as an extrovert. Because you were acting. Because I was acting. Okay, so this is a common theme with most, I won't say all, most actors are introverted. They stay in their core, they're inside of their shell, and they come out when they're on stage. Correct. Right. So you were able to manipulate that it's always feeling like or being in the mode where you were on stage. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. So, and a supportive family that I kind of grew up an only child. My sister's 10 years older. My brother's seven years older. Okay. Uh, my so mom refers to me as forever the as the bonus. The she uses. Yes, you were an accident. She uses bonus. <laughs> But well, accident's the word. Uh, don't worry. We, we all but, have met someone who's been the accident, but the accident turns out to be great. It's the greatest accident of all time, <laughs> if you right. ask her. If you ask me, maybe it, sometimes I feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's, let's take a step back to Charlton Heston. What was it like having a professor like Charlton Heston, larger-than-life character, figure, influential role model at the time? To be fair, he was a very small part of the program. Okay. I think it might have been two hours. Oh, so okay. I, don't want, I don't want to make that out to be more than it is. So that's a rounding error. Yeah, yeah. And people who know me will say, you know, there goes Mitch making more of a story than it really was. Would you say but Mitch these things did happen. a mountain out of a molehill? This would good, be a good spot to say that, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> All right. Um, this is burning in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. You're obviously slightly older than me. I will say slightly. Yeah, I'm, I'm 62 and proud. <laughs> you remember the show Saved by the Bell? Yeah, of course. Were Don't you... be a Slater hater. There you go. Slater was my favorite. Hands he always down. was. Everybody likes Zack Slater. Um, it's funny because that was not... No, it was A.C. Slater. A.C. Slater, right. Yeah. yeah. It was not my era. I was already beyond yeah. the target audience, but obviously was quite aware of it. And I have a, one of my favorite pictures I have is when I was running for Board of Ed, my daughter, who was probably in eighth grade at the time, 
helped me with the campaign, which was one of the most fun things I've ever done. Something I never thought I would be involved in, but it was just a lot of fun. And she made these signs, don't be a Slater hater, on her own. And I have a great picture of her with a t-shirt that she, that we got, don't be a Slater hater, from the Saved by the Bell bookstore or whatever. And it's a great memory. So, so I would love that reference. I, I, I absolutely would have voted for you if I was in town because Slater was my favorite. I did obviously mm-hmm. like Zach. I had a huge crush on Kelly Kapowski well, like who, everybody I mean, come else. On. I was in my 30s and I you did. You know, at, at the risk of embarrassment, yeah. I was in the Kelly Kapowski fan club. Okay, I well. did write her letters and I did receive postcards back. And I know way too much about Kelly Kapowski's character. And Tiffany Amber Thiessen, I was not obsessed. Maybe I was. But I no longer have that It's passion. There's a difference. And we'll get into that with Springsteen between passion and obsession. But my obsession was Tatum O'Neill, which dates me a little bit more. Wow. Okay. So to me, Tatum O'Neill and Christy McNichol in Little Darlings, as well as Tatum O'Neill in anything she did, except for maybe the the drugs and the Michael Jackson stuff, uh, (laughs) was everything. But... I was in a fan club. I had a signed photograph from her. And honestly, she's the one, and I've, I've been very, very fortunate, and I'll explain that for a lot of reasons, to meet a lot of my heroes, to have actually had conversations with many, and some quality time. She somehow got away from me, and unfortunately she had a really bad stroke a few years ago, yes. and I'm glad to hear she's doing, doing better. Okay, so, um, so. Just quick rewind, you chose wisely. They were very good uh, uh, boyhood role models. Yeah, yeah. Well, Farrah Fawcett, the, the Farrah Fawcett poster was up. Of course. But it was really Tatum O'Neill. Of course. Okay. So we know where you came from. Yes. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. So before we go into the podcast that you run and meeting your heroes, leveraging a podcast to meet your heroes, let's learn a little bit more about you personally. Sure. Now, you are altruistic. How do I know this? You ran for Board of Ed, which is an absolute nightmare of a role to take on if you are not truly engaged in making a difference. Why? Because you have to deal with the people. And the worst part of the people, you have to deal with parents. And I am one myself, I try not to be vocal, but there have been times where I have been that parent where I will start off saying, I don't want to be this guy, but I'm going to be. So how, how did you get the great idea to say, I want to throw my name into this pot and I want to run for BOE? Well, I, I, I would think a combination of things. First of all, I didn't, it, it came to me, I, it, I didn't come to it. So okay. I'll, I'll get to that story. But I've been involved in my kids' life, you know, all of them, both of them for, you know, forever. They're the most important thing in the world to me. They always will be. And I coached every sport. I was involved in and anything that surrounded it, including the very infamous Washington School Show, which has been around 75 years in Westfield, which is a one-time fundraiser that the elementary school has done, where a parent writes a show, directs it, stars in it, there's a band, it's a whole thing. I did it all for 12 years. Are these shows good or are they dog crap? Well, I will tell you that the three that I co-wrote were fucking amazing. I mean, did other people tell you this, or you believe it? No, I other people believe this one. Okay, too. great. I Especially it because too. I took the show I'm the proudest of was the one where we combined the '70s. It was called Trouble in the '70s. Okay, and it kind of followed because the year before somebody did Welcome to the '60s, which was more of a hairspray ripoff. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, I'm a kid that grew up in the 60s and 70s. So what mattered to me in the 70s? Well, at the end of the day, I probably had to push it down to Get Smart, one of my favorite shows of all times, created by Mel Brooks. Great Woody show. Allen did a lot of the writing. Just Great an amazing show. show. I was a Rocky Horror Picture Show guy. Okay. okay? Um, and because I love movies and everything, obviously everything from Saturday Night Fever to Grease and, and Rocky and everything else that occurred in the 70s. So we combined um, a guy who actually gave up a career to become an actor and is now in L.A., John Fishman and myself. I know John Fishman. Oh. Yeah. So John and... Well, the name, and, unless we're thinking of two different people. Well, it, it's kind of, you know, in, in the Jewish world, this is probably uh, a John Jewish Fishman around yes. every corner. Yeah. Um, but John Fishman... Um, Matt Felix and Elizabeth Doles and I each got together and we wrote the show. And I, 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 I think we each contributed in our own way. For me, the music was where I could stand out. So I could take Ronstadt's You're No Good and make it fit into... Oh, and I also threw in, because why not, uh, Dr. Evil. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, which was the movie at the time, so why not? So I created a character who was sort of half Frankenfurter, half Dr. Evil, and then created the characters that would eventually bring them down, be Maxwell Smart and Agent 99. And so then we you, put music to it. You were playing on the nostalgia vote there, or this nostalgia effect there, and half your audience was obviously aware of, of who you were portraying. The kids, the kids may have known a lot of the songs, but they didn't know the, the No, no, shows. no. This, okay. this, this show was definitely, the references were there. And, and I, of course, you know, the director made the decision, not me, but cast me in the lead role, um, which had me coming down a set of stairs dressed as Travolta with the white suit uh, to doing the Saturday Night okay. Fever dance. So, you know, it kicked off in a great way. But most importantly, we raised a lot of money for the kids. I had a lot of fun. In fact... I stayed on beyond the time when my kids were at elementary school because I'm into music. I play the keyboards. They needed a band leader. So for five years, I ran the band at the end, okay. which was really fun because it was just music and it was just jamming with a bunch of what local Westville guys. Uh, piano, organ, you know, pretty much keyboards. Perfect. Yeah. All right, so you're probably gonna not like me when I do say this to you, but I wouldn't be me if I didn't speak what I felt and thought. I cannot stand Saturday Night Fever. I think Saturday Night Fever is the worst movie that was ever put onto 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 film. And I'd agree with you. <laughs> Understand horrendous. that I used it because of the cultural reference, okay. not because of the quality of that movie. God, I the movie think sucks. It is as cheesy as it gets. Oh, it's ridiculous. It is painful to watch. And if anyone disagrees with me, good. I'll take on that. Conversation yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm with you. That, right. that 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 doesn't even come up in. I don't get it in a, I, in a top movie list at all. Put it like this: I have watched Jesus Christ Superstar probably a hundred times, and I have no idea why, but I've enjoyed it. I cannot watch Saturday Night Fever for the life of me. It goes off if I see it. Well, same with me, and, I, and I'd add La La Land with that, oh, too. Oh, yeah. Okay. Probably the worst right, film so I've So you ever and seen. I are on the same page. Okay. By the way, how do you feel about this hike? I'm having a great time. Uh, I think it's, for me, so far, the challenge is being met. Okay. And, well. and you know what? Who knew three miles from a Friday special, a gobbler, 
and uh, a Turkey Joe, there's this beauty, and that's the reference, folks, to the, the Milburn Deli, Deli yes. if anyone knows New Jersey. <laughs> if you want to have Thanksgiving every day of the week, you can on a sandwich. Yes, you can. All right, so, so and I agree, this is in your backyard, which right. is, you know, kind of the premise of, of me really being excited about what we do here is there's hiking everywhere, and it's literally in your backyard, right? The Shame on me for not knowing about well, it. Well, the exception Thank if you, you live in a this flat country like Idaho, where your only hike is a... Yeah, I guess straight walk. Yeah, flatland. Picking up potatoes and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So back to this. All right. Um, what's your favorite decade? If you had to think back, where where would you place yourself nostalgically? Seventies. Seventies. Why is that? I think I became the person I am today. I think that I, the sixties, as cool as it was, you know, I was nine when Woodstock happened and. All the, and I was at camp, and all the counselors left for a few weeks because um, Woodstock wasn't far from the Berkshires. Okay. But realistically, I came to be who I am in the 70s, where I really started reading more. I really started getting exposed to British comedy, which was so important to me because of my aunt, who was an incredibly influential person in my life. And... The girls started liking me by the, the end of the 70s. Well, that's so important. If, so if I'm going to be realistic, you know, when you grow up in a small town like Springfield, New Jersey, you, people decide who you are at a certain age. So in sixth grade, if you're the short little fat kid in the shows, I don't care if you are Michael Jordan, Ryan Gosling, and George Clooney put together by senior year, you're still that short little fat kid. So, and I was not when I graduated. I certainly wasn't any of those three. But I, I was bullied. I was right. bullied big time. For what reason? I uh, was bullied mostly by a, a kid who, at the time, I knew nothing about. Turned out, obviously, a very, very poor uh, family. Very difficult to be one of maybe... 10 black students in a, in a town with white kids. Okay. And he wanted a dollar for me every day. And even though he was probably five inches shorter than me, my friend Jamie Halper and I gave him a buck every day because we were scared shitless. Why didn't and, you fight back? Well, I did. Okay. At first, I just had fear. And that's why you have an older brother. <laughs> and the most influential person in my life besides, I would say, you know, my parents and Obviously, well, he's family. So, you know, my brother Jeff is someone who's always had my back to this day. I've had his as well, but he was taking judo at the time. I think he might have been in high school and got me in this town here, Milburn, to take some judo lessons. Okay. Enough to look like I might know what I'm doing and be a badass. Okay. So the next time this man... Boy... This boy, who's sadly no longer with us, who ironically wound up being a roadie on Springsteen's Darkness on the Edge of Town tour, which is another story. But Weird full circle. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, he came up to me. I did one or two little moves, threw him on his back. Within a few days, he was over at my house shooting hoops. All right. That ended that. So I love this story. You're getting your ass kicked. You're paying this kid a dollar a day. Yep. You learn to defend yourself. 
And because the bully most likely had insecurities of his own, especially with what you said, being the only minority, one of the only minorities, singled him out. So he had to pick on someone else right. to displace that right. and, frustration and anger. And I had no idea how terrible this, this kid's life was. I mean, of I course. had no how sense of it. And of course, I told nobody about it other than my brother. Yep. Um, and your I, brother gave you sage wisdom. Yes. And then you learned one thing. Stand up for yourself. Exactly. Right? Even if you get your ass kicked, you were going to get your ass kicked no matter what. So you might as well give it a shot. Right. Now, this is advice my father had given me with this bully. Uh, his name was Phil. He was picking on me every day, pushing me on the bus. And my dad, I remember sitting at the dinner table, him telling me, if you're getting bullied, next time you see Phil, if he comes near you, punch him in the stomach. Lay him out. Mm -hmm. Worst case, he's going to hit you back. Okay, pain. You'll deal with it. So... Phil came around, I punched him in the stomach, fell like a sack of potatoes, hit mm -hmm. the ground, started crying in front of me. Right. Right. Phil was the slightly overweight, very tall kid in second grade. So the Biff from uh, yes. Back to the Future guy. Yes. Yeah. But he wasn't dumb. Yeah. He just, oh, okay. he was taking his insecurity and, right. you know, masking it by being the bully, which is common in the case. Right. Next day, principal calls us in the office, heard you guys fought, shake hands, you're now best friends. And then Phil and I were best friends all throughout elementary school. I love so, it. That's a great theme. Here's the problem. We don't teach that anymore. No. That is not no, accepted anymore. That. We use our words. Right. And I will say, as a parent of daughters, great. But one of my daughters was getting picked on, and I told her the same thing. Next time you get picked on by that boy, drop him. And she did. Principal called me, and I told him. Hey, listener. Thanks for hiking along with us. Discover more episodes at itookahike.com or to recommend an adventurous guest, apply to be a sponsor, discover books along the trail, or to simply drop us a line. So let's fast forward a little bit. I think we understand your person, which is cool. Can I add something? Sure. Not sure. political or anything like that, because I think it's important. I'd like to point this out to people. My life has been a giant pivot. And, you know, we're on a journey here. We're on a hike. And I feel that... At the end of my days, I know that I may have made a lot of mistakes, but the journey's been worth every part of it. That's right. Whether it was starting in acting, pivoting into broadcasting, having the most incredible time from age 18 to 25, working for Howard Stern, you Larry for King. Howard Stern. Oh yeah, I oh, was. We I are was, talking about that. I was. I was his intern at DC 101. I was the wow. day. His first day there, I was the day he met Robin. As I've said to Gary Delabati, who I've, you know, I've met because of Springsteen, um, dude, I had your job. <laughs> but then he said, you don't want it. And I go, well, the three homes and what you put up with, it's a balance. All right, so we're coming. Now, we got the bridge over the yes. River Kwai here, so. We're going to, <laughs> nice reference. <laughs> we are going to uh, traverse this mean bridge here. Okay. Um, I want you to finish your last thought, though. Sure. Um, yeah, the, the, the pivot for me was learning and I learned this I learned this at when I was 21 years old and I think it's one of the greatest joys of my life and kind of the best blessing that I could say was my time with Larry King your time with Larry King so Larry King for those who may be young and not know who he was <laughs> in my opinion the greatest interviewer of all time, or at least in the top five. I'll, and I'll, I'll give you top five because you mentioned Howard Stern. Okay. In my opinion, Howard Stern, absolute number one. Do you know why? I, I assume lots of practice. Larry King. 
Okay, we're talking about this. Okay, well, I'll, I'll get into that in a minute. All right. But what I learned from Larry King, who took a chance with me because we bonded over sports. He was a guest on Charlie Rose, who I was interning for. Um, this is pre-Charlie Rose problems. Yes. I was, I will say I was the only male intern at the time so on you, his NBC show in D.C. You were not me too um, No, okay. no, he had no interest in me. Okay. Um, which was fine because, you know, I had none in him. But anyway. <laughs> but had uh, you. All right, I'll leave it. Th I'll leave it there. No, I would not have. And that's why I didn't get into Northwestern University undergrad, which is a whole other story. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Clarify that because that made it sound something very different. <laughs> well, there was a director at yep. Northwestern. Yeah who hit on most of the guys there. Ah. I did not know that I was one of the few heterosexual young 16, 17-year-olds there. Okay. So apparently there was an unwritten law of things happening, which I was like ran from. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say my math SATs, which I still think to this day might set the New Jersey low record, um, had something to do with it, but I know that that director refused to write a letter of reference for me. Because of that. So, okay. anyway, things happen for a reason. Can I ask what your SAT score was? Because <laughs> I'll give My you wife will love that you asked that question because I am 62 years old, almost 63. I, I am blessed with an amazing 96-year-old mother, siblings I love, two incredible children, a wife that is mother-freaking-Teresa. <laughs> And I can't get past my SAT scores. Okay. So do I know what they are? You're damn right I know what they are. Come on. Okay. I'll tell you mine. First time out of the box, math, I think was, 800 was the top then, right? I yeah, don't know that Pretty year. sure. So anyway, my year my, my, I, I never broke 1,000. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Okay. And... I got into GW, which I never would have in today's world, because back then, if you wrote the check, you got into GW. But I hated math. I walked out of math class. I would find excuses. I had no interest in math, which is really fascinating for someone that spent 35 years as a financial advisor. So people are probably thinking, dude, <laughs> why did you have a successful 35-year career? Very simple. I knew how to communicate and I knew where to get help, and I knew where my strengths were, and I knew where my weaknesses was, and I made sure I had the partners, and my partner, dad, my dad for a while, and then Ann Trainer and Crystal Wilkinson were smarter than me in certain areas, and I was able to understand managed money and not have to make those decisions. So you have just summarized everything I stand for. In order to be successful in life, it is not your intelligence, it is not what you know. It is your work ethic and how you interact with people. It is finding smart people to surround yourselves by. It is putting in those reps and that extra effort to rise above. It is not your SAT scores, which, in case you're wondering, my SAT score, I got a 910. Yeah. Okay, I think I beat you by 40 points. Okay. And look at us. We're so, taking a hike on... On a beautiful day here, and we both have pretty damn good lives. So, I am living proof that tests do not determine the intelligence of many people. And the reason why? They ruin they the intelligence. Ruin the they are part of the political problems in this world. That is right. Because the majority of the people I know that were really good testers, that wound up getting into that school, and even later in life, there's still companies that want to see what your GPA is, which yeah. blows me away. 
I Mine learned... didn't, by the way. I had to volunteer. Do you want to see my... No, EPA I was lucky no one ever cared. No but one my cared. son's in finance, and he's a CFA. He's about to start grad school at Cornell after a really good career of eight years. Um, being a manager of other managers, he's going to be his own portfolio manager. He, he's clearly smarter than I am, but his discipline, and I don't know where it came from, um, and hard work, that I know where it came from, both of us, my wife and I, clearly shown through. But ultimately, the, 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 the answer to the whole question comes down to three letters that doesn't, that people don't focus on. For most people in life, it's R-O-I. In my world, it's R-O-R. Now, I'm going to put a caveat right there. I learned that from a guest on my show, Ted Rubin, who wrote a book called Return on Relationships, who is a phenomenal guy and would probably fly up here to hike with you and you would probably go for 50 miles. He's one of the most fascinating guys, speaks all over the world. Ted talks all kinds of things. Great, great guy. But that is the truth. Because if you know how to manage, not money, but expectations. Expectations. Emotions and, of people. Right. And then manage those relationships. You will be successful, 100%. or whatever your definition of success is, one way or another. While the AI machine displaces human beings from their positions, it cannot displace or replace human-to-human -human interaction, relationships, and emotions. And if you have a child that is going to be going to college and they're asking, what should I major in? You should absolutely be focusing on careers that require human-to-human -human intelligence, right? Could you should more. be focusing on business, business classes. Yes, you should also, if your child is mathematically blessed, understands computing, should absolutely look at computer science, computer engineering, any of those, microprocessing, microengineering, all of that is great. But if you have a child that's saying, should I go into liberal arts? Direct them into business, direct them into anything that will be psychology related, because AI is coming. It's in your kitchen cooking you dinner already. It's here. It's here. And, and it's replacing jobs. Yeah. No, and the most important classes that I wish I took more of were psych and philosophy. Yep. Um, I made and maybe sure I sociology. took psych classes, which is obviously paying off. Yeah, these and days. I, I, I wish I took more because I, it was a lot of on-the-job training, certainly, yep. as a financial advisor. Because talking to people about money is one of the most difficult things in the world. Yep. Now... It's the most emotionally attached right. you can get. Right? In the down market, how many calls do you feel where someone is yelling at you because you put them in the wrong investment? But if you had managed the expectations so they understood the rainy day and they understood why they didn't get a higher return in the up markets, but they were protected in the down markets, you don't get as many calls. I'm not saying I was perfect at that. It's a long game. But I learned that. I learned that and that is, you know, I think really, really critical. This is a absolute long game. Yeah. As we look at a nice little path up here. No, nope, we're going to go this one. We're taking the harder path. You know what? Are you sweating yet? Oh, no, I've broken a sweat. I'm drinking some water. I'm, you know. How do you feel about this trail? And then we're going to go into some, some advice. Sure. So, um, I am absolutely loving it. Um, and we'll do everything I can to figure out how I remember it. <laughs> I'm sure you have a map. Yes, I, I am um, on an app. Because I want to come here with my, certainly with my wife. So I believe there's 15 or who so will trails. Be 20 steps ahead of me, but yeah. that's okay. Well, there are 15 or so trails in this one park, so I think you'll find yeah. 
you, a plethora, as they say in Three Amigos, a yeah, plethora, a plethora of, of options. All right, so let's pivot a little bit. In the episode with Lou Kimball, the retired oh, I love that. CEO Fascinating of Footlocker man. International, yeah. he didn't go to college. Right. So I didn't ask him this question, and I will in a follow-up. Do you think it's possible today for somebody like a Lou Kimball to have the career that he had without going to college? Is that even a possibility today? His career, probably not. Because I think- in, Right place, in, right time, right drive, right Yeah, there, there are certain careers, and um, I'm gonna drop another name, sorry folks, but Gary Vaynerchuk, yep. Gary a client of mine. I've known Gary V for many years. His wine library is just down the street from here, but most people know him in the social media world. Gary is pretty, <laughs> really against college. But my, my feeling is that in certain careers, and Lou Kimball's is one of them, having the education helped him move up the ladder. He would not have had, I think, the opportunities in Europe, for example, and some of the other C-suite positions without it in today's world. Yep. He was at the ground floor with the right personality. You hear the drive, you see that this person was poised for success. Plus the connections that you make, especially in yep. grad school, Grad school is not about grad school. It's about networking, which, you know, as well as we talked about um, relationships and everything, networking is, is everything. That is absolutely right. Okay, so we are going to traverse up this hill over here. Okay. Do a loop back. So you're on for the long hike, by the way. I'm having a great time. All right, great. All right, so now let's move forward into some advice. You are a financial advisor and- I was, I was, was. Okay, we'll, we'll so, clarify that in a minute. So, so Len, let's, one, we're absolutely gonna preface this by saying anything we talk about is not real advice, right? It's guidance and if you want, you should always validate with whoever you hire or advises you professionally. So- Correct. What are some of the challenges you see with investing today? Well, I think the challenge starts when kids are young and I've been fortunate to meet an amazing amount of incredible people. Neil Godfrey, who's a good friend of mine, she wrote all the books on kids and money. She was Oprah's person. She's done seminars that we did together on raising financially responsible children. I think she is the Albert Einstein of that world. Okay. And she says this in every speech, and it is so true. Okay, folks, mind blown. It is easier for most parents to talk to their kids about sex than it is money. And that is so true. The sex talk, we can get it done. But money, oh, and that's a problem in every relationship. Husbands, wives, kids, parents, partners, that's a big part of it. Why do you think? Well, because it's not taught in the schools. And that's a reason I ran for Board of Education. And I helped get financial literacy mandated in the state of New Jersey as an elective. Wow. You can't graduate high school in New Jersey it's not enough, but it's a start. So, so we're talking rich dad, poor dad stuff. Yeah. Right? If you can't talk to your kids about financial independence, how to invest, take your kids to a bank, open a bank account, balance a checkbook. Yes, archaic and antiquated. But yeah, the principles yeah. matter. Yeah, and you have to get, and it, it works throughout life. I mean, I said this to my daughter and my son, who are both in serious relationships with incredible people that I look forward to 
having in our family one day soon. Except my daughter's boyfriend's a Yankee fan, and uh, he, he knows I'm a Met fan. But we'll, we're going to let that go, Spencer. Listen, not, not everyone can be perfect. but There we go. But the point, <laughs> which I'll probably forget now. Wait a minute. <laughs> the point of financial literacy. The point of financial literacy and financial education is... See, this is a trick you play on the hike. So you get the 62-year-old guy up here after a while, and suddenly the brain, wait a minute. <laughs> Raw, real, and authentic. Yeah. Oh, the point I was going to make is that it's going to lead to difficulty in marriages. It's going to lead to difficulty yes. in any relationship if you don't have some knowledge of money, finance, investing, insurance, estate planning, financial planning, whatever you want to call it. And what you need to do as a couple to start off is to get financially naked. You got to look at each other because one person has a lot of student loan debt. Well, guess what? So do you. That's yours now. Not saying that's a bad thing. I have no problem with people with student loan debt. I admire people well, well, let's, that, let's that also invest in themselves. Debt is not always a bad thing. No, debt, not at all. That's an ugly word, but debt... Not to me, it's Debt not. is leverage. Yes. And there's plenty of ways to leverage debt in a positive fashion. Yes, I know a lot possible. about that. <laughs> in fact, the wealthiest people in the, world, in the world do this. They will make $1 into three instantly. This is how you do it. Those were my best clients. You take... <laughs> you take a life insurance vehicle, a whole life vehicle. I'm just giving an example. You take a whole life vehicle, you buy that policy with your money. It doesn't actually cost you anything because instead of moving your dollar into the markets, you're moving it over to whole life. Then you take a line of credit against or, or loan against that whole life cash value policy, which is easy to write because it's secure for the debting institution or the debtor. And then you invest that dollar that you got as a loan, and then you can take margin against that portfolio you put it in. Most importantly, you do your own research, you work with professionals, everyone's situation is different. Yes. There is no cookie cutter on anything when it has to do with finance. That's right. Let's move on to another topic. Yes. Sorry, I was just giving an extreme example of how you can turn <laughs> I'll a dollar into I'll explain my pivot. <laughs> yes. All right, so the 62-year-old is still alive. Yeah. Um, which is great. He's still got energy, and which is great. feeling better than I felt when we started the walk. That's right. Well, that's the whole therapeutic process. Oh, the endorphins are flying out of me. Absolutely. With well, sweat. We're halfway into our hike, so we've okay. got plenty of topic. All right. So let's, uh, let's pivot uh, a little bit further. You're no longer a financial advisor. Yeah. Technically, right. I have retired as a financial advisor, um, and my partner is running that book of business. Uh, deal was constructed, but I've done as has been the history of my life, done something that no one else has done before. Typically, most people in my industry, they retire, maybe take a payout, and they go to Florida and play pickleball. Now, please, all you pickleball fans, I'm not attacking pickleball. Florida, I leave that up to the beholder. I won't go there. But I have got more creativity in me. I have got this burning desire I'm on fire. There's a little Bruce there for you. Because I have got to get this stuff out of me. Because if I don't get this stuff out of me, I'm dead. Okay. And I've got to get it out one way or another. And currently I'm doing it through peer sharing, taking videos, best practices, helping people with their own podcasts. I started the first podcast at my company, uh, which, you know, I brought them the idea with Gary Vaynerchuk. It took five years eventually it happened. 
it's now a success and other advisors all over the world are doing it. So I, I, I just think that everyone needs a coach. And I know this fits in well with what you do for a living. I am applauding. But I, I am, you know, when it comes down to it, some of the principles, if I ever do write that book, for me, I'm more of a speaker. But it would be about the benefit of having a coach and what my business coach, Barbara Kay, in Chicago, did for me throughout my career. Because I needed somebody to be that wasn't family, <laughs> um, that yes. wasn't a friend. You want your coach to be an outsider completely that can Absolutely. block you top down but and But understand subjective. your industry. And what made Barbara excellent for me was that she understood our industry. Okay. So I, am, I think everyone needs a coach. Everyone needs a therapist. Everyone needs, if not a trainer, some sort of a method for them to be exercising. Yep. You would have not heard any of this from the 30-year-old or even the 40-year-old Mitch Slater. So with but what, the older you get, the more it means. With what you just said, business therapist who hikes on a podcast is a pretty good combination. I think this is... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to... When I see... I actually do have a trainer when I see her later and I tell her Watch this. Um, she's going to really feel like I cheated on her, but I'm going to say, <laughs> you know, you could have thought of this. Yep. Well, anyone can do anything. It's not copying if you spin it your own way. Yeah. Um, but, but yes, I do believe that everybody should have a coach if you want to find the most competitive success. I mean, if Tiger Woods needed a coach, if Michael Jordan needed a coach. Tom Brady. You know, Tom Brady. You, Tom Brady, arguably, and I don't care if you like the team or not, right? I'm a Jets fan. Sorry for me forever. Um, <laughs> I know. It sucks. Um, but... But I can absolutely definitively say that Tom Brady is the best football player that ever played the game. He is the GOAT. He is the Michael Jordan. But Tom Brady would be nothing without Bill Belichick. Absolutely. Right? And Someone Bill Belichick would have been nothing without, without Bill Parcells. Parcells. That's right. That is absolutely right. So you and I are on the same page. That's paying it forward. Yeah. By the way, that is the extent of all of my sports knowledge. Oh, okay. <laughs> we have exhausted it. Hey, listener. Thanks for hiking along with us. Discover more episodes at itookahike.com or to recommend an adventurous guest, apply to be a sponsor, discover books along the trail, or to simply drop us a line. All right, so, so going back to Larry King. And so, yeah, music. listening and curiosity, I think, are specialties that we don't see on any cable channel. You don't really see. There isn't news anymore. I mean, that doesn't exist other than maybe the written word. Well, but News is a screenplay. Right, right. But when done properly, and there are podcasts in the news genre that I think do a very good job. But in, in general, I, I, for me, being able to listen and being zoned in, whether I'm walking my dog, whether I'm on a hike, whether I'm driving, doesn't matter what I'm doing, I love to listen. And this is an opportunity to just be focused in and listening. So for me, when the opportunity arose to do a podcast, I struggled a little bit with what my theme was going to be. Mm -hmm. And that's why I admire what you're doing, because you have out of the box come out with, I think, one of the coolest themes that, that certainly that I've seen. Well, I am humbled. I've heard. Thank you. Well, it's, it's, it just is. And, and that will get people to listen to the show. But I was fortunate enough throughout my life to have been connected to an incredible amount of people. I also don't care about rejection, so I'll ask anybody anytime. Embrace I embrace rejection. I, I embrace it. Bring it on. It's fuel. 
It is fuel. Fuel Absolutely. for you to either prove somebody wrong or prove them right, but go in a different direction. Absolutely. And I worked with publishers and, and I just asked and when people said, how did you, how did you get John Taffer? I asked, you That's know, right. how did you get, I mean, the Springsteen connections I've worked for a number yeah. of years. Max happens to be, you know, just an incredible guy. I've known him through a lot of different ways and, but was very humble for me to do that as a live video uh, as well at Danny Clinch's gallery in Asbury Park. And that was my 100th episode where I took a pause. Stone Pony. At, um, no, we did it at, um, well, right down the street from the Stone yeah. Pony. There's an, an, an incredible gallery. Danny Clinch, who is one of the great rock photographers of today, does all of um, Eddie Vedder's work as wow. well as Bruce. So you actually, before you go into the next point, yeah. you actually brought up two very important bits of advice. Don't be afraid to ask. This is a recurring theme that many of the guests have, have repeated. The reason why they're successful is they were not afraid to ask because the worst answer you'll get is a no. You don't ask, you don't get. Exactly. This is where I'm gonna quote my 96 year old mother who said to my very talented niece, Fanny, who uh, was up, up and coming chef caterer in, in North Carolina when my mom was watching Rachel Ray about seven years ago and Rachel Ray mentioned she was gonna do this cookbook competition she sent a text at 90. My mom also has danced on stage with Van Zandt, Springsteen. She was the face of J-Date. That's a whole wait, other wait, episode. Whoa, whoa. What? <laughs> all right, we'll get to that you in a minute. You can't throw all that but out the there. Point, all right, but the point is she sent a text to my niece, Fanny, saying, I just saw Rachel Ray's doing this cookbook competition. You should try out. Three words. You never know. You never know. Now, Flash forward, Fanny wins, obviously, uh, goes through the whole thing. Thousands of people, they make video, they bring the final five to New York, they narrow it down, they bring in the top chefs in the world to vote. She wins, my mom is in the audience, the video of her with my gotcha. brother and his wife coming up on the stage was amazing. I was outside the, um, the studio when it happened. And she said, when Rachel Ray asked her, you know, how did this happen? And she looked at her grandmother and said, you never know. You never know. And I think that's just three words that, you know, mean so much in life. You got to, you don't know, you don't ask, you know, so, you got to try. So for everyone listening, you never know. Don't be afraid to ask. And then the other bit of advice that you, you mentioned is put in the work. You've got great guests on your show because you put the work in. You didn't give up. You kept that drive going. Absolutely. And I put the work in every episode. That's I did right. a lot of research. As you know, my... podcasting right. is very difficult. Exactly. It's challenging. I wrote, I, you know, fortunately, I hired someone to do the technical side that, that you know. Well, uh, you do. Did, you hire people to do job. the jobs that you don't experience because you don't right. need to start over and learn. Exactly. Right? You, so, you hire people for their talents. Absolutely. Right. So We're I was... going down this path okay. here. Yep. So I want to hear a little bit about your mom because she oh. sounds like an amazing character. She, she is the... <laughs> My mom, when my dad died in 2009, he was, you now I did fall on a glacier, um, but I did have clamp-ons, so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm, I'm not going to fall. This is not that bad, folks, but... It's a little, but I'm just, little wet. I am watching, at least. <laughs> okay. Well, um, that, that's, that's how I get you to be so open about yeah. conversations. While you're focusing on not slipping down the side this of a cliff, true. you God are what I'll you're say. just spewing out all this great knowledge, <laughs> personal attribute. So when, when my dad passed away, I thought my mom would just fall into a hole, which it was we, unfair of me yeah. to think that, but I think a lot of us thought that. My wife, who is incredible, 
she had the idea of getting her active. So immediately every Tuesday night while I was a board of ed meeting and my kids were still school age, she would come over and make dinner because my wife worked, still works, Time Magazine, and that would be the night they would close the magazine. So she'd be there late. I'd be at board of ed meetings till God knows what time. My son was old enough, you know, so he could handle things. He was 15 or whatever. But my mom would prepare dinner and bring it over or she'd make it at our house and it gave her something to do. And there is nothing more important the older your parents get or anyone in your life that, that's meaningful, keep them busy. It means just as much as it does for me today and, you know, why I'm happy to do things like this because I need to keep busy because I don't know what I'll do with myself if I'm not. Well, a busy mind continues to learn. Right. And your, your brain, although not, it's not anatomically a muscle, it's a muscle, right? You, you should consider your brain a muscle. And, you know, if you want to stave off certain ailments, dementia right. or Alzheimer's, and no, this is not medical advice because there's probably some truth and reality in yeah, there. There is some. But you have to stay busy. You have to stay Well, yeah, and that, and that I think has been a, a reason why my mom is 96 and, and who she is. Healthy life. And healthy life. Yeah. Well, although, you know, my mom has a candy drawer that all the kids, grandchildren go to. But my, my mom has basically lived her life on, on candy and, <laughs> and the wrong food, but has unbelievable DNA. Her dad lived to 97. His two sisters, wow. who stayed in Russia when he emigrated by himself at 10, lived to be over 100. So there's some, some serious, really good genetics there. Yeah, well, George Burns lived to what, 99, smoking this multiple cigars a day? Yep, I, exactly. Know. All right. So I... Enjoy well, your life. That's exactly. what it comes down to. So when opportunities arise, you have to take them. So back seven, well, six years ago, I'm at uh, with Steve Van Zant when he was touring on his own with the uh, so Disciples cool. of Soul. And after the show, Stephen's having a glass of wine. And I know Stephen from a nonprofit, Little Kids Rock, which is another guest that you need to talk to, David Wish. We'll talk about that later. He was in Montclair. By the, by the way, <laughs> most people know Stevie Van Zandt from The Sopranos. Yeah, from his character, Sylvia, of course. Right, right, right. And in many ways, he is. And he's which, also he's also a lot of the character um, in Lilyhammer, which was the first successful Netflix series, which he, if he, no one ever saw, they should watch. He played Syl amazing. Yeah, I, yeah. that was totally believable. Him and and he was Walnuts. Well, yeah. you know, Stephen, uh, sidetrack for one second, but David Chase came to him with the script and wanted him to be Tony Soprano. Really? Steven said, first of all, I've never acted. What the, what the, what the F is wrong with you? What are you? He says, I've been watching you on stage. I've seen your videos. I know everything you've done. You are this character. Huh. So he says, all right, I'll do a, a test for it. It was terrible. <laughs> but Steven said at the test, I know the guy. He's a character actor. He's only been in a few films. But you need to talk to my friend Jimmy Gandolfini. That's your Tony Soprano. Wow. And David Chase said, okay, none of the other characters fit you, but I'm going to write you in as his consigliere. Wow. And he wrote him in, and the rest is uh, HBO history, thanks to our mutual friend and former guest of Take a Hike, Shelley Brindle. Okay, wait, so, so first of all, that's a fantastic <laughs> story. The fact yeah. that still was the original idea behind or yep. thought of... Yep. Tony Soprano and yes. his recommendation. That is, boom, mind blown. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. One and of it's the, in, arguably it's, one of the best. Stephen revealed that in his, in, his, in his book last year, um, which is a great, great um, rock and roll autobiography. Yeah. So, so, so we, wait, let's, let's talk real quick about yeah. Shelley. How did Shelley influence uh, Tony Soprano or the Soprano? Well, it, I, I mean, from what 
I learned more actually on your podcast about Shelly than I ever learned. <laughs> I so, think most people did. Um, I, you know, she was involved in in the sales side, and I know she was in some heavy duty meetings, making you know green lighting the Sopranos. That's so. That's phenomenal. Yeah. All right. So, so it all circles, but full circle. It's on all this show. full circle. It, 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 that's that's life, man. Love it. So I become friendly with Stephen thanks to his wife Maureen, who hits me up on Twitter because she likes some of my content and tells me about an organization that she's on the board of called Little Kids Rock, which at the time basically provides musical instruments after the No Child Left Behind ridiculous laws back mm -hmm. in the early 2000s, all of these schools had no music programs. Yep. So by raising money, they were able to, now, they're now in thousands and thousands of schools nationwide, just cut to the chase, but we do an event every year and they needed an advisory board. I get on the advisory board. She invites me to the first event, which they were honoring Stephen. And at that, and that night, of course, Bruce was up there singing Elvis Costello and the, you know, the usual Sasa Johnny. And I'm bringing clients to this event. Of course, this is a great opportunity for a lot of different things. So I get to know Stephen because he directs the production. And I have a friend who is really his consigliere, um, who I kind of knew a little bit, but got to know better. And I kind of was able to take a leap of faith, to quote Bruce, and, mm -hmm. and get a little closer. Never asked for anything, nor would I. I just enjoyed it. And anyway, so Stephen is touring, well, Bruce is not touring, uh, with a band. And we're in, I think, in the city. And it's after the show. And I, you know, I'm a marketing guy. So I had, I had made a video with my mom, which I love doing. I'm, I've done a lot of them. So I have a video of her wearing a Stephen Van Zandt t-shirt and an album. And I put it out on Twitter as a promotion to sell tickets. Mm -hmm. I, no one asked me to do it. Just did it. Yep. Stephen sees it. Stephen <laughs> comes up to me after the show. Give me your email. Okay. <laughs> I got an idea. You're going to love it. All right. Wake up the next morning. Email came at 2.30 with a script. Oh, man. And the script is basically my mom introducing little Stephen and the Disciples of Soul two nights later at the St. George's Theater in Staten Island. With, I don't know, 5,000 people. And I talked to my siblings and my brother, who's normally very open about everything, is like, no way mom's going to do this. And I, only, I say this out of love because it's become a funny story. I, he, you know, we always talk about it. I go to her. I couldn't even finish showing her the script that she was in. Okay. She had no idea what it was going to be. I didn't even know to the extent. We get out there. Honestly, the video of the rehearsal is better than anything. Because he's in full Silvio mode. He's yelling at the light guy. He's this. The curtain's got to be closed. He's helping her. He, it's fantastic. She does it. Uh, people, you know, coming up to her, taking selfies. The whole thing goes over well. A couple days later, I get a call from a neighbor of my mom's who had posted it on Facebook and a casting agent wanted to talk to her. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. Wait, how old is she again? She's 96 now. She no, was no, 90 at the time. Nine, wow. She just turned 90. And she's, she's full of energy. Full of energy. Amazing. Yeah. I love this. So she, <laughs> she gets, uh, I, I, I speak to the casting agent and they're representing J-Date, which is Jewish dating service. I, um, um, I, I may and, or may not have frequented that site uh, before meeting okay. my wife. That's all right. That's how my nephew met his niece, as a matter of fact. Perfect. So um, his niece, his wife. <laughs> Sorry, Garrett. Yeah. Um, 
so anyway, I, I take her and they give her a little script. And it was like a Woody Allen film. They have all these old Jewish women in a room walking around reading their lines. And my daughter, Georgia, came with me. Honestly, one of the great moments of my life, just watching this and observing, knowing my mom that she was going to blow every one of these people away. My mom walks into the room, throws down the script, tells her own joke, which some old stupid joke of my grandfather's or something about, the, you know, she lives in a ranch house and somebody asked her about horses or something. You know, whatever it was, immediately I could see the pictures are taken, the video. I'm like, Mom, you're going to get the lead here. The concept of the ad was the old Jewish yentas are working through the night coding to get the best Jewish boy or Jewish girl for their grandkids. Fantastic concept because that is reality. Exactly. Okay. So it's a print ad. Um, they hire a very, very good photographer whose name escapes me now, who's done a lot of magazine covers. And we go out to Brooklyn to some little studio. They shoot it. She gets the role of lead Yenta, which means she got 2,500 bucks. The others got 500 bucks. Okay. Is this like a SAG minimum? I guess so. Okay. Yeah. If it even counts. My mom's out there striking right now with everybody. There you go. <laughs> um, so she, she, you know, totally nails it. It's fun. Three months later, I get a, my brother finds out first because they're, they're waiting to, like, when is it going to be up? When is it going to be up? And a friend of my brother's, who uh, Jamie Farber, who's a music engineer, did James Taylor's work, incredible guy, lives in the city, guy I grew up with, said, I'm walking out of my building, and who's on the subway stop but B? <laughs> and that's when I realized they were out there. That's amazing. And I found out they were not just subway stops, charging stations, they were billboards. They were everywhere. And there was a giant billboard. You can't escape your mind. No, no, no. And I don't mind it okay. <laughs> back then. Um, as a teenager, maybe a little yes, bit. But as back a teenager, then, yes. The plight of running exactly, away. Exactly, right. Um, and I take her out to, with my wife to Brooklyn because above Junior's Cheesecake on Atlantic Avenue is one of the biggest billboards there are in New York, which is not far from where Ebbets Field was years ago. And the video I have of her seeing it the first time, people crossing the street saying, wait, that's you going into Junior's. They're buying her lunch. And suddenly... You know, she's this celebrity. And, and, it, you know, and Stephen, of course, called her Queen Bee. He was sharing it everywhere. So the whole thing went viral. She has friends, and I mean this, in 30 countries. She gets gifts from people. A woman in the Netherlands sends her birthday cards, make, knits her <laughs> tulips, I, I, you know, crazy stuff. Do you think that gives her further energy for life continuance? Because at 96, Absolutely. there's definitely days where it's like, Ugh. Well, yeah, and we've yeah. had a rough couple of months. So okay. She's doing good today. Good. She's right, this right now, very good. good. But She's proud of her boy? <sighs> I think so. I would hope so. I think she's, yeah. I, well, yes, yeah, she is. She's proud of all of her children and her grandchildren. Um, I think that's in her DNA. Okay. But um, Proud Jewish mother. But, uh, yeah, so if that's not enough... Flash forward two years later, Stephen's finishing another tour, and it's the final night of the tour at the Paramount in Asbury Park, and I know that Bruce is going to come out and sing three songs with him at the end. Maureen calls me, says, listen, Stephen wrote this song, Soul Dancing, Soul Twisting, and we're all going to come out dressed, you know, like 60s people, you know, and twist on stage. Maureen's an actress. She's mm -hmm. actually my acting teacher, which is okay. a whole other story, <laughs> and I want B out there. I call my mom. She's at King Supermarket buying steak. She'll tell you exactly where she was. And this is, of course, after talking to my brother. And she says, oh, she'll never do it. She's like, what? What do I have to do? I said, I'll be, I'll be over later. 
Four days later, there she is in Asbury Park. They have a little boa around her. Yeah. Um, the place is packed because there's always the rumor Bruce is coming. And of course he was that night. And my really good friend, Rich, was backstage because he's kind of Steven's guy. And out comes my mom, you know, second to last song. And she's dancing and, and they've actually made a DVD of the whole thing. Um, Steven's producing a few things where it's, she's included. Um, but what she didn't know, and I kind of knew but really didn't know, is that who, when she gets off stage, comes over to her to help her sit down, but Bruce Springsteen. Um, now, Talk about I, the, the nicest, most humble human. I listened to his, his interview with Howard Stern, which is which arguably... Is one of the, which is the best interview Bruce ever did. I think it's, it's probably the best interview Howard Stern yeah, ever did. Yeah, I, I agree. He has said that. That, that. that didn't get nominated for an Emmy, by the way, as well, a crime. Well, they made an HBO special. Yeah, it, it. It, and it should have been nominated. Yeah. And um, I think it's arguably one of the best interviews of all time. Right. And I know there are some crazy, insane interviews out there, but yeah. at least in my lifespan, that's the one that I listened to mm -hmm. at least five times right. and watched because it was so... Now, I'll admit, I'm not the biggest Bruce fan. It's not my generation, mm -hmm. but I appreciate all musicians and any artist in right. that sense. But I appreciate the humility of just a person who had to struggle in the beginning, became one of the most well-known, famous musicians, and still will stop to say hello to you. In fact, the time he got in trouble, he was yeah. pulled over for uh, drinking and driving a motorcycle. Yeah. A, a park ranger saw him have a shot of right. tequila which with a bunch of fans. Which he did almost every day. Yes. I mean, that was just a regular Bruce hanging in Manasquan yes. or Sandy Hook. That's, yeah, just, we, that's just Bruce. That's Jersey. We had Jersey. a park ranger that wanted to make a name for himself. Right? Exactly. The whole okay. thing is, yeah, it, is insane. It worked against him, obviously. But the irony of this happening, because Bruce is Springsteen. I've seen him over 300 times. It's definitely when people... If I were, you know, someone's given my eulogy tomorrow, I hope they're talking about me as a father and as a husband and a son. But somehow Springsteen's going to get in there and they're going to talk about that and, and the impact in my life that his music has, the shows have had, and everything that surrounds that because I have such grown up in Jersey, just connect to it so beautifully in, in some ways. Some ways not at all, but my mom grew up, not didn't grow up, watched me grow up with... Bruce, 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 and she became a Bruce fan. I took her to concerts. Of course. So she, you know, knew the music. So, so, so you, ju you just said, though, that uh, at your eulogy, you want the conversations of Bruce. If I'm, hopefully, it's a long time in the future, I think after this is said, now your wishes are known. If I am there, We go I up will... much more of this hill, oh, but yeah? <laughs> uh, my, my friend Dave, uh, he's already working on the eulogy. That's, there you that's go. a fun, fun little thing yeah. we have between um, us. But I think it'll be well known. Um, for me, my, uh, my dying wish, and it's now written in my will, and my wife knows, and I was keeping it secret, but you know, I might as well let you, okay. and only you know. Okay, no problem. Um, I would like... For my procession there to be an armored car following the hearse and a sign that says now you've seen it because no one's ever seen an armored car following a hearse <laughs> i love it <laughs> i love it so there you go everyone when i kick the bucket please and it's a simple sure request it's really not a tough request I, I don't know if you could just rent an armored car but we'll figure oh, out how. it's okay we, yes. we, I, I know i know police in westfield shelly shelly can make it happen there we go no, everyone no be there we'll get okay. it but so bruce comes out and of course my mom had taken her hearing aids out so she doesn't even remember half of the conversation there's <laughs> an incredible photo 
of the two of them with her face, the shock look on her face. And, you know, the older you get, things get taken away from you. That's just mm-hmm. life, right? Yes. You know, that's just the way it is. And I am absolutely beyond blessed to have my mother at 96. And sure. we had a rough few months with mostly back issues, but it was a lot of pain and it was difficulty and kind of her will to live kind of went away. Mm-hmm. It has come back Good. and I hope it stays back. But the reality is, just like many people in my life, I'm going to lose them. Hopefully only the ones older than me ever. But um, I just consider myself to quote Lou Gehrig, the luckiest person on the face of the earth, that I have had a mother who I had this entire relationship with that was really wonderful too as a kid, but went to a whole other level. And she's my buddy. We're, we're, we're big, huge Met fans. She watches every inning of Met fans. We text during Met games. We suffer. We, so, you know, we, we do we it all. Suffer. So I would say you're one of uh, a few. Not many people have that luxury. So that's. And I and I don't take it for granted. Good. And I have a 90-year-old mother-in-law. So I'm really lucky on both yeah, ends. Yeah, you are. Um, Your kids are lucky. And that, yeah. Especially because they get candy from both sides. Right. All right. So let's pivot a little sure. bit. Sure. I want to go back to you know Howard Stern, if if you may indulge us. Sure. On some of that conversation, because I am a huge Howard Stern fan. Mm-hmm. Like many, right? Politics aside, doesn't matter. Right. The the man is a media genius, and regardless if you hate him, he has had some very important influence on society. He's turned he's turned people around. He is he's done a great job <laughs> yeah. being a he's relevant. Yeah, he's very relevant even today. Long-standing right. career. Right. Fantastic interviewer. Uh, fantastic show. And if you think his stuff is garbage, well, as he said, you're going to tune in to hear what he'll say next. Right. Or do next. Right. All right. So let's talk about that. What was what was that like? So for me, here I am uh, working at DC 101, the top rock and roll station. Where he started. Which was his second station. He oh, started in Detroit. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And they fire the morning guy on Friday. And I'd been there for a few months. I was having a great time. I was driving their Model T, giving away Springsteen tickets to girls all over the place. It was a, it's a fun thing to be 20 and doing this sure. gig. So they tell me, listen, this guy's starting on Monday. We think he's a little crazy. <laughs> we don't really know. Well, he was. So just, just be there. If there's any problem, call this number. You know, we'll do our best to get in early, but I know you're, you're going to be the only one there when he gets there. So that Monday morning in 1981, I believe it was, it was about four weeks before Reagan was shot. So it was, I think it was like late February, early March. And, um, and he, in comes this tall, lanky guy hell on wheels. Big hair. Big hair. Big nose. Where's the studio? Uh, over here, Mr. Stern. Who are you? Um, m- my, my name is Mitch. I'm, I'm the intern. He goes, great. You're now boy Mitch. Get in there and put the cans on. I'm like, Mr. Stern, I was told by the general manager that, that I don't have the correct licenses in order to go on the air. He goes, bullshit. Get in that other studio. I'm like, yes, Mr. Stern. I don't know what made me do it. The rebel in me. I went in the other studio. He goes on the air. Charisma. His charisma. Yeah. He goes on the air. Suddenly, I'm listening. There's sounds of dinosaurs and all kinds of animals. Our boy Mitch is out on the Beltway. He doesn't even know what the hell the Beltway is. He just learned something called the Beltway in Washington. Mitch, what's going on with the traffic? I I I remember this. And I went with it. 
Okay. And I'm just having fun doing it. It was, you know, top five experiences of my life, and I'm 20 years old. Okay? Oh, my God. An incredible moment. I did, at the time, I didn't realize how incredible it would turn out to be. I did mean, if I know, ever... Well, did you know or have a feeling that this was a star in the making? Or were you just like... Not the first crazy. day. Okay. Not the first day, but after a few weeks, I knew this guy was unlike anyone that I had ever listened to on radio or experienced, and there was something or, special. Or personalities you've ever yeah, experienced. Yeah, right. Okay. I didn't. I knew that Washington D.C. was the wrong city for him. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell so you he, that. So he Way went too to, conservative. He went to WANDC. Right. With pig vomit. So while I'm there, he's can you, can yelling. Can you tell I practice that? Yeah. Oh, that's it's great. It's great. Paul played by Paul Giamatti in the movie. Fantastic actor. Um, one of the best. So a few weeks in, he's miserable. They won't let him bring in his friend Fred. You know who he was working with at the other stations. We have no money. They said, but you know what? We're going to hire you a newswoman. She's out of Baltimore. We think she's going to be the perfect person for you to work with. And in walks a woman, at the time maybe five feet one, and she goes in the studio. And I see for the first few minutes she's just like looking at him, like looking at him. And then she did the same thing. She just played along, <laughs> and that chemistry between Howard and Robin began that day. Amazing. And never went away. And Still strong today. And I, you know, I consider myself very lucky that these things happen. I mean, I, I they said happen this, around you. Yeah, I said to myself, I said to myself, well, how often, Mitch, do you talk to yourself? A lot. Anyway. Well, the inner voice. Right. In I've said to many people, if I ever did write a book, it would be called So Close. Because, A, I was Howard Stern's intern. I could have moved on in that role. B, I went to college with Alec Baldwin. That's oh, wow. a whole other story that... Long can, Island boy. Yep, we can talk about. C, I worked with Charlie Rose before he hit it big. Of course, it, he fell from grace, but I could have been there. Then, Larry King, I'm with him on the number one radio show in the country, but I wasn't with him when CNN happened. And, you know, I've had these things happen where, you know, but, you know Hi. maybe a move a little bit left or right, those things might have gone differently but you know what Darren I don't have a regret at all about it I am so happy that these things happened to me and maybe I peaked a little in my early 20s with, with some of these things happening and I lived in LA and worked in TV I was on a game show called Love Connection where I got picked by the audience and I remember I, Love Connection I have the video to prove that, that Chuck Woolery yeah Woolery back in two and two yeah talk, talk about the quintessential game show host yeah he was perfect. Yep. Perfect. Well, I had been working on a game show with Peter Marshall that was canceled, and I went to interview for a job, and they made a tape of me talking about who's the perfect girl or whatever. I didn't think anything about it. Wait, just a preference. Canceled, sure. meaning the show didn't make it, not canceled as in today's terms. No, I mean canceled because it was on opposite yep. General Hospital during the Luke and Laura You were not years. beating General Hospital. No. And it was with Peter Marshall, Leslie Uggams. It was a stupid show, but it was it was a fun experience, like everything. So... Um, so I, I wind up six months later getting a call from this young woman saying 57% of the audience wants us to go on a date, watch the show tomorrow. It happened to be the Friday after Thanksgiving. The whole world saw it. And we went out on a date. We dated for a few months. And years later, I had the video, and she's a Facebook friend. And it's a great story. I probably post it way too much. But again, I was there. I was there when Reagan was shot. I literally was at the Washington Hilton. It was a little bit of the Where's Waldo or the Zelig yep. <laughs> in my life. 
that I'm there at the Washington Hilton. I run, I have, I have credentials to get into GW Hospital because of Alec Baldwin. I mean, it's just, you can't make that up. I get in there and Sam Donaldson's doing his reports and I'm, you know, a wannabe TV guy. Talk about a face. So Sam I'm walking, Donaldson had a face I'm walking Purdue. back and forth and back and forth. And I'm on camera. My grandfather's taking pictures. Years later, ABC puts out something called The Day It Happened. So I have video of me at 21 years old with a lot of hair and a striped shirt walking back and forth. I just happened to be at these places when these things happened. So you've been the right place, right time, or as you say, so close, but no regrets. No regrets because every one of these things I made happen myself. That's right. Nobody helped me with maybe a couple things. So, so you would define luck as putting yourself in the right situation to create that. 100 percent okay so so pivot just slightly as you know on all episodes i ask do you believe that you are successful so i knew this was coming because i cheated and i listened to your other shows it's not cheating it's called research <laughs> unlike larry king exactly yeah. so i'm going to put it a couple of ways yes i consider myself successful and as corny as it sounds, the reason I consider my successful is my 30-year-old son, Harrison, and my 26-year-old daughter, Georgia, who have grown up to be family-oriented, civic-minded, caring, hardworking, good people. Whether they make enough money in life, whether anything else, I have no control over. But I feel that success of having two children like that, which obviously I probably go 70% to my wife, 30 to me. Our, <laughs> our, our joke is someone had to raise the kids when you were at Bruce, but I think I, I played a decent part. So, so my success comes from that. But when I thought about it more, I went back to probably my favorite or top three TV shows of all time, Mad Men. And it, the words came out of Don Draper's mouth that Matt Weiner wrote, and it was about happiness and what is happiness. And happiness is the moment, you know, the moment after you have happiness and you look for more happiness. Well, success, success is sort of the same thing. It's like you're always searching for it. And I finally feel now in my 60s that maybe I, I, don't, I don't need to search anymore. It's just in front of me. I just have to open my eyes and pay attention and stop being so damn self-absorbed, which I, which I am. I am the first to admit it. Um, someone recently made a comment to me, someone I value about a Facebook post, because I tend to always have a story when someone dies. Oh, I met them there. I did that. And this person who I value said, you know what? I, I don't know why you do that. And I, and I thought about it, and it came down to insecurity. And that's a hard thing to admit and a hard thing to say out loud. We're all insecure about but something. But that's insecurity and that's something I'd like to change. And, and I would like to have enough confidence that I don't need to tell everybody. Now, here we're on a podcast and I'm, I'm spewing my life story to you, but it's sort of the right environment to do that in. Well, this is a therapeutic podcast. Do you so, feel like this is therapeutic? Absolutely. Well, I, I, I'm canceling my therapy tomorrow. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, so what... Uh, so you're insecure about what? So I suffered for many years from, and you've mentioned this on your show, the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. That's most successful people yeah. just suffer from that. And that's what keeps you motivated. So when you I got caught. successful in a business that made absolutely no sense 
to me that I would be successful in, I really, really struggled. I, I felt like I didn't belong. I felt like I wasn't deserving. I probably made bad choices, not with, not in the job, but you had choices maybe with my own money um, because I bought into my own BS a little bit too much. More of that insecurity Meaning that I'm putting out there. Meaning you self-funded bad ideas? Yeah, probably, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, who else is going to invest in you other than you? Yeah, well, bad ideas or investing in things that, you know, I just like investing in a movie because I, mm -hmm. I knew the guy from college. I thought it was a cool idea. And... Ah, the dangers of investing in friends and family. Yes. They play on the heartstrings. So yes. something to be cautious about. It is okay to say to a friend or family member, because you are a friend or family member, I am not comfortable making the right decision. You can give a small amount, but if you are going to invest, make sure it will not hurt you if you do lose it. Right, and that is the prudent answer. And when you do what I did for a living, you know, I go back to one of my other favorite movies, almost famous, you start thinking you're a golden god. Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, the older, the older I get, the more these things hit me in the face. And again, I'm not looking at, you know, the Grim Reaper. I'm not thinking about that, but... I knew a few years ago that I wanted to do something different with my life. I wanted a third chapter. I loved being an advisor. I loved working with the wonderful relationships of the people that I helped over the years, but I needed to be back in doing something creative. And I'm not, what I'm doing now, I love, whether it's something I'll do forever. I don't know, I may pivot again, but- Well, to interject, from the conversation we've had, and I really have And a business you. coach gave me the guts to do it. Yeah, well, a coach will always bring the best out of you and help you get over some of those insecurities and fears and doubts. But not having met you in the past, this is our first real conversation, right? Even though we live in the same town and probably are in similar circles, right? I would say that you are extremely successful when it comes to your life experiences. Might not be in wealth, I'm sure you've made some really great moves. That's fine. But as you know, success is not wealth. No, Because there not. are plenty of wealthy people sitting on a sofa right now in their house, and that's basically their day. Right. Right? right. That's not fun and exciting. No. You have hung out with the best, have the greatest stories. I, you know, I'm sitting here in, intently paying attention, listening, because I'm fascinated by all of these stories you have. And in a way, you've portrayed a great picture where I am with you. And to tie this back to what you were talking about before, auditory learning, the reason why I have chosen for I Took a Hike to be an auditory podcast is because when you are listening to something and you are intently involved and it's between your two ears, your brain wanders to the visual you want it to be. In fact, you take it a step further and put yourself in that situation and believe it. Hey listener, thanks for hiking along with us. Discover more episodes at itookahike.com or to recommend an adventurous guest, apply to be a sponsor, discover books along the trail, or to simply drop us a line. So that's why I'm listening to your stories and I feel like I met Stevie Van Zandt. I feel like I was in the room with your mom when she was coming up with the Yenta story for J-Day. <laughs> and the audience is hearing that as well. This is the most powerful medium there is. And that's why you have been a great guest. You have fantastic stories. I love what you have to say. And I love this episode. Thank you. So let's 
go one step further, as you know, this one is coming. Okay. What is your definition of success? And like I said earlier, I knew it was coming and I'm still struggling because I'm not sure I've been there yet. I feel like my journey isn't over. I feel like my, my definition of success in my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and now 60s is, is extremely different. It went from, you know, wanting to be an actor in my 20s. In my 30s, it would be making enough money to buy a house. In my 40s, making enough money to pay for my kid's college. In my 50s, probably being thought of positively by my peers. And now in my 60s, for me, and it, it just, it all comes back to family. And it, it, so my, my definition of success is being able to surround myself with people I respect, people I admire, people I can learn from, and people that I can trust enough to, to tell me when I'm wrong. And I'm wrong a lot. I'm human. So that's today's definition. Oh. I love that definition, and yes, we're all wrong a lot. I'm wrong a lot as well. We always have something that's wrong. Now, whether or not we argue the opposite, it's a different story. That's personal. I, so. would add, I would add one story to this that is not a celebrity story, but if you were to ask me what was the greatest accomplishment in your life... By the way, that was coming. Oh. <laughs> so, yes, I guess we can segue. What's, what was the greatest accomplishment in your life? And that's going to be followed by what was your biggest regret. Okay. Well, I got those. So the greatest accomplishment for me was to take the person who really made me who I am. And, you know, and this is nothing against my parents, but I had an incredible aunt, very talented woman, was a writer for Steve Allen. She wrote Broadway. She got me really into reading books, to watching really the great movies to to really watching Channel 13 which eventually BBS. became BBC yep. and she believed in me and maybe she was just a doting aunt but she believed in me she believed in all of her nieces and nephews who she treated as children really more than anyone I think ever did and suddenly in 2006 at age 83, she got the horrible diagnosis of, of pancreatic cancer. Oh, sorry. With, you know, you've got four to six months to live. Yeah. And I went over to my parents' house, I think with Leslie, with my wife, I'm not sure. And I sat them down and I said, I, I talked to Leslie about this. I said, Leslie and I want to take Annette to London as soon as possible. My dad, <laughs> I guess my brother takes after my dad, She'll never go. She'll never do that. <laughs> my mother also, oh my God, she's, you know, she's going to be sick. It's not going to be good. So I thought about it. I looked into what we could do to make it um, as first class as possible that I could afford and make her feel special and show her the things that she's dreamt of her whole life. Okay. And we made it happen. And around Memorial Day that year, you know, she initially said maybe, and I just went and bought the plane tickets and made the arrangements. And for five days, her health wasn't great, but she got to, you know, to the West End to see Billy Elliot and see a play. She got to go to Buckingham Palace. We had an incredible tour guide. Oh, amazing. Who took us all over. She got to see a family member of her pen pal. And 
the joy that I get very emotional about this. The joy that that brought me and my wife, which we memorialized in a really nice book with photos. The saddest thing is I never gave her the book of photos. She died. No. We got back Sunday. She died Thursday. But she died with seeing something that she would not have. She seen. clearly had whatever it is inside of people that gives them that last push in life. And, I, and some say she did it because of you, Mitchell. She didn't want to let you down. I don't, I, I, I don't like that. I, I, I prefer that this was something that she wanted in her life. And fortunately, somebody in the family knew that and benefited enough from it because I'm who I am a lot, for good or for bad, because of Annette. And I think my brother and sister feel the same way for a lot of reasons as, as my um, oldest niece, who was born when I was 16, who experienced it, and my kids when they were very little. You know, I, I think she, she knew that, I mean, she knew the end was near and, and she got back. In fact, we almost didn't get on the plane. Somehow they, she said, she must have said the C word and oh. they weren't going to put her on the plane. She looked terrible. Yeah. Got her on the plane. Yeah. We got home. I called my mom. I said, I think we should go to the hospital. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I sat, my brother and I sat with her as she took her last breath four days later. And I am more proud of that moment in my life than anything. Because when you can do something so self, selfless for someone that means so much to you, yeah. that is really your, is who you are. And I, I, I can't tell the damn story without being emotional, even 17 years later, but. Well, no, it's, it's a true, real story for you, so. Well, it's a real story. You and can't I, deny your emotions. Right, this and is, I, this and is personal, I, and in, in talking about insecurity and in talking about making mistakes and you know, Sinatra regrets. I have a few, you know, too few to mention, but I have, I have a lot of regrets and, and, and I, but I don't regret this. And, 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 and I know that at the end of the day, you know, when your, your funeral is being led by the armored car. Um, that's I, also because I'm a jackass. But. <laughs> I hope someone tells this story because that's really who I am. Although, <laughs> I, I, it's that old joke that's, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on television. Damn it, Jim. <laughs> so in many ways, I don't really know who I am. That I'm not saying I'm civil and I'm, you know, I've got, you know, schizophrenia or a lot of personalities, but I get confused sometimes with who I am because there are a lot of people I want to be. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, in that time in my life, I was the person that I was intended to be and the reason that the accident or the bonus happened mm. on a cruise in middle of 1959, somewhere in the Bahamas. Okay, hopefully you don't get more of that story. <laughs> it's all I need to know. Yeah. So that is extremely touching and I love it. I love it for all the reasons that you're a human and you don't deny your emotions, right? And when you were growing up, men don't cry. That was the right. anthem. Today quite the opposite right men do whatever you want to do and need to do and we don't deny our emotions and that's why getting out in nature talking about the past talking about big influences successes regrets your life stories and being honest with yourself openly 
with seemingly a perfect stranger can be extremely therapeutic. And I think the difference you made, not only in your aunt's life, but to those around you that got to witness what true kindness and without ego really means, that meant a lot to more than just you. It meant a lot to your entire family and those that are surrounded by you and those that listen to this, this legendary story, this tale of reality, of just being a perfect human in a moment of someone else's need and time. So Mitch, with that being said, while most people went to work today, you went to hustle. I appreciate you. I appreciate your stories. And I hope you found some therapy today. Darren, this was the best therapy I could have. I love being outdoors. I learned that I'm not hiking enough. Um, and I'm going to want to do more of this. And I, I appreciate that you gave me the forum, the opportunity that we had this beautiful day. As it turned out to be, it's going to be a lot hotter later. So we were fortunate. But I, I thank you for, for creating this. And I, and I sincerely mean that because I'm advising people on podcasts a lot now. And... Your idea is definitely the most novel, creative one that I've heard. And I, 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 I know that one day, maybe in four or five years, when Wondery or, or someone, Spotify, buys, buys this for hundreds of millions of dollars, oh, geez. I'm going to say, God, you think they'll play episode 10? <laughs> <laughs> or whatever this is? Yeah. Well, I am extremely humbled. I will tell you that this is my own therapy and this is my form of journaling, as you probably heard me say before. Um, I'm not doing this for me at this point. I'm doing this for we. Something I practice and I preach when I'm coaching is there is no me anymore. This is we. This is your legendary story. This is your legacy. Your kids are going to hear this. My kids are going to hear this. I, I hope they'll Listeners listen. Listeners, they will absolutely listen. <laughs> they may listen get sick of it after five minutes. They but will maybe one day it. they will. They will absolutely listen to it. The only person that doesn't listen to it is my wife. <laughs> She finds me to be cringe, but she also has to hear this crap all the time, right? Well, I have the same thing at home, too, and I don't blame her. You know, I'm constantly saying, look at the video I just did. Look at this. And that is she's okay. like, you know what? You, <laughs> God bless you. Yes, that is okay. So uh, with that being said, I will tell you my only regret during this entire hike. I told you to put on bug spray. I did not listen to my own advice, despite the many cans on my passenger seat. <laughs> <laughs> and I have been eaten alive in this humidity. Uh, I have welts everywhere. Well, I but got that right. I call those badges <laughs> of honor. Yes. So, Mitch, once again, I appreciate you. Thank you for your stories. Thank you, Darren, and best of luck. Next time when I took a hike, we are inspired by an uplifting personality with sound core values when I took a hike with Jason Ellinger.